Let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 66 as we finish this up. This last section we'll look at really is the most personal of this psalm. We've seen different calls, uh, as we'll see in a moment, to, to worship the Lord and praise the Lord. This one comes down to the individual. This one comes to the individual. So if you're able, would you stand with me? And I'll read our portion of Psalm 66 for this morning. Heavenly Father, come upon us with your Holy Spirit and open our eyes. That as we read your word, as we study it and dig through it, Lord, that you would reveal to us your truth, that it would be fixed in our hearts, fixed in our minds, to, to such an extent that we couldn't help but to praise you and to live these things out. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So Psalm 66, verse 13 to the end. I shall come into the house, into thy house with burnt offerings. I shall pay thee my vows, which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer thee burnt offerings of fat beasts. With the smoke of rams, I shall make an offering of bulls with male goats. Selah. Remember, that means to, to think back and contemplate these things. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his loving kindness from me. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. We're going to pick out a couple items in this passage really to, to look upon. And, and, and really the first one is a vow. Now scripture is pretty clear about making vows. And when we find in the New Testament... It says about your yeses and your noes. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. You don't want to be standing in front of people and say, now, on a stack of Bibles, I swear on a stack of Bibles. That's hymnals. I swear on a stack of Bibles, okay? Or on my what? My mother's grave, okay? Or swear, my mother's still alive. Uh, I swear on anything that you can think of, okay? Um, it, or let me be honest with you. What can you then therefore assume that I haven't been honest in the past? Or, or let me tell you the truth, as if I have not been telling you the truth. The scripture is clear. If you're going to say it, let it be plain. Let it be straightforward. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, there are different vows that are made in scripture. Now, we, we think of vows and we, we think of those who... who uh, uh, now... Uh, Maybe you all didn't do this. Maybe you who are still in school don't do this. But you show up to a test completely unprepared and you say, Lord, if you get me through this test, I'll do anything. <laughs> this is what I'll do. That's a kind of a, that's not the kind of vow you want to make, okay? Or, or if suddenly you are in, uh, you're in a terrible way, you're going way too fast, you're in a hurry, and you start sliding on the ice, and you say, Lord, get me out of here, and I'll never miss church again. Well, that's, that's the wrong time to make a vow. Okay, wrong time to make a vow. Uh, and we see some rash vows that are made in Scripture. Uh, and the, probably the most famous vow that comes out of rashness is from Jephthah. Okay, 
Now, all of you uh, ladies, this, this is particular to you because Jephthah is one of the judges and he's off um, uh, doing things for the Lord, judging and, and being very successful. And he says that, that because of the great success I've had, the first thing I see on my trip home, I will devote to the Lord. And sure enough, the first thing he sees on his trip home is his daughter. Now, there is some discussion about Jephthah. Does, does he sacrifice his daughter to the Lord? Or does it, uh, what's the old phrase, get thee to a nunnery, you know? Or uh, does he send her off to kind of the Old Testament convent? Um, because he was a pretty good guy, except for this rash vow, I'm going to say he shipped her off, okay, and, and, and rather than sacrifice her, because that would be completely against uh, what the Lord says. Now, there are other good vows that we see in Scripture, like the Nazarite vow, okay? And that was, there were three parts of that vow. Uh, you couldn't touch, uh, you couldn't cut your hair, you couldn't touch anything dead, and you couldn't taste of the vine, you couldn't drink of the vine. So we see Samson was a Nazarite, uh, John the Baptist, uh, who else? Samuel. Now that was, uh, sometimes that's a parent devoting their child with that vow. Other times that vow is taken on for the short term. We see that in the book of Acts as Paul pays the, the uh, tithe, so to speak, uh, for a, a group of uh, gentlemen who had taken a vow for a certain time. Okay? Uh, but vows before the Lord, if you're going to make a vow before the Lord, remember uh, these scriptures as an example. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. So we can assume a fool is someone who makes a vow and doesn't follow through. Pay what you vow. It is better you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. I really didn't mean that about going to church all the time now if you help me pass this test. No, no. Number says, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Does anybody here remember making a deal? Maybe it was land. Maybe it was you purchased a car. Maybe it was something, but you did it with your word and a handshake. Anybody ever do that? Uh, just a couple. I, I, you know, you got to be older than me, typically. To do that, uh, because today you've got a contract and you've got to sign it and you've got three days to get out of it. You've got all this. But it used to be our word was our bond. I mean, if you said it, that was it. Okay, especially if you're saying it to the Lord. Now, it's not like, well, what's he going to do if I don't follow through, right? I mean, he's not here to pick on me. He's not here to say anything to me, right, is he? But, you know, if I, if I cheat one of you, well, i got to look you in the face once or twice a week, and I don't want that to happen. It's just like, doesn't the Lord know what we do? Is, is the Lord not with us all the time? Oh, he's there all the time, all the time. Well, in our psalm, Psalm 66, we've seen, as it has worked, its way, worked our way through, we have seen a call to the nations to praise the Lord. That was to uh, all the nations uh, outside of the covenant people. And then it transferred to a call to the covenant people to bless the Lord. And now it is an individual's turn to bless the Lord. Um, 
it's, 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 this is a personal call to praise for what the Lord has done for this individual. Now, if we go back and think about, okay, what was the context of the psalm? Was it the deliverance of 2 Kings 19 when Jerusalem was surrounded, Hezekiah was the king, and they went out in the morning, all the Assyrians were dead? Um, uh, that, that certainly fits the context of the, the corporate uh, praise. But what about this individual section of praise? Um, so let's, let's look through and, and work through this. Uh, it's a call for everybody to come and hear from the individual's mouth what the Lord has done and what he has done about that. Okay? Now, when the psalmist was in dire straits, he vowed to make sacrifices to the Lord. Uh, God has delivered him. Now he's going to follow through on that vow that he has taken. And we've quoted this, this portion of Spurgeon before. He says, we should be slow in making vows, but prompt in paying them. Prompt in paying them. And that, that would go not only to the Lord, but also to one another. If I'm going to make you a very serious promise, I have to weigh that. And if I make that promise, I better see that through. Okay? So that's important for us as the body of Christ. It's very important if we're going to make a vow before the Lord. Now let's look at verse 13. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings and pay my vows. Now there are kind of a cultural thing here there are two types of burnt offerings in the old testament one is a what we'll call a fellowship offering and this would be the, the best thing i can equate it to is like a barbecue offering okay uh so you you take your bull and you sacrifice your bull and you burn a portion of that as a burnt offering to the lord you devote a portion of it and the rest of the bull you share with your friends. You invite all your friends over to the sacrifice and they see that the sacrifice has been made and after that you have a little barbecue with the rest of the bull. Okay? And it's a time of joy because you want them to come and in a sense experience the joy that you've experienced because of what the Lord has done. Okay? So you throw a little bit of a party with your friends. The other type of burnt offering was one where the entire sacrifice was devoted to the Lord. So you would sacrifice your bull and everything would be burnt and consumed and given to the Lord. Now we see this type of offering in several places in the Old Testament and it's a little bit different than just taking an animal and putting it on the altar and sacrificing it. We think of Jericho. What was to happen with everything except Rahab and the people in her house at Jericho? Devoted to the Lord. Okay, devoted to the Lord. Now, what did that mean? Well, that meant that nobody could keep anything for themselves. No spoils were to be kept. Everything was to be given to the Lord. Now, there was a guy who kept a couple things, you know, just some shiny trinkets, little gold, silver, and some clothes, and hid it under his bed because nobody would know it was there. Achan. Next week or so, they go off to, to the next city on the, on the, uh, the schedule, A.I., and they come against AI, and what happens? They get the stuffing beat out of them, okay? And they're, they're scratching their head. How is it that we could bring down the walls of Jericho, we could bring down the walls of Jericho, and not lose a person, and, and we have this great victory, and we get up to AI, and we get beat? What, what's going on here? So they come back, they throw themselves before the Lord, and the Lord says, they're sinning in the camp. They walk by 
all the people before Joshua. They walk and they, he picks a tribe, he picks a clan, he picks a family and comes down to Achan and says, confess, what have you done? He says, well, I, I kept some of the spoils. And he said, you know, it was supposed to be completely and totally devoted to the Lord. And what happens to Achan? He and his whole family are killed because of this. This was very serious business here. Okay, not only was that they kept some for themselves, but they lied about it, they hid it, they tried to hide their sin. And not only did they pay the penalty, but all the soldiers who died in the first attack on Ai, they paid the penalty for Achan's sin as well. So this was a sacrifice that was meant to be given completely to the Lord. And we, we also see that that Joshua, if you go to Israel and you go to the, the valley, and this is the valley where Joshua and the Israelites came up, and you go to the archaeological digs, when you dig down in these cities that were taken, there is this layer of black, okay? Because most cities are built at the same spot. We come, we conquer, we, just, we destroy your city, and then we build our city on the same spot. And so the, they get higher and higher. So the archaeologists come and they dig these pits as, as test pits. And they just make a square and they dig right down. And if you get into the pit, you can see all the layers of civilization. They change because of the pottery. They change because uh, of what is left and all that. And through that valley, you see almost in every dig this layer of black. Okay, And it is dated the time when Joshua and the Israelites came through. And the Lord said, this is the promised land. You go in and you destroy everybody. Okay, now we think today that's pretty harsh. But this was the promised land. And what happened if the people of Israel, did the covenant people, if they did not destroy everybody else, what was going to happen to them? Their hearts were going to be taken. Their hearts were going to be corrupted by pagan practices and, and idol worship. And sure enough, they did not obey the Lord totally. And their hearts were taken away from him. So, so this is what we have here, a complete dedication of something unto the Lord, okay, unto the Lord. Uh, so let's look and see what this offering was. Verse 15, <clears throat> I shall offer to the burnt offerings of fat beasts, rams, bulls, and male goats. So this is a pretty serious offering. And it's almost as if he covers all of these animals to say the, 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 the debt that I owe, the joy in my heart cannot really be covered by animals. But even though he gives a, a wide selection of animals and he gives at least two of each, okay, these are plurals, he gives at least two of each. This is no casual offering. Apparently the psalmist was really glad he got delivered by the Lord. And his vow was to pay back the Lord to some degree what he had done in the sense of here is my gratitude, here is my joy. Um, this flows out of the character and the faith of the psalmist, flows out of his praise. I mean, really, when the Lord calls us to do something or when we rely upon the Lord and he is faithful, what do we do? Do we go, great, and just keep going? Or do we take time and we reflect on what the Lord has done? Do we express our gratitude and our joy to the Lord because of his faithfulness? Okay, it's, it's like um, uh, we, we talked in Sunday school a little bit. Do, does your character, is it the same? When you're by yourself, do you act in the same way as you do when you are in a crowd? 
Do you think the same things, say the same things, do the same things as if people were watching you? Well, this is somewhat like that. If you have made a vow to the Lord, if you have said, Lord, you know, this is what I'm, 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 you know, this is, this is what I'm concerned about, and the Lord sees you through, what do you do? Do you forget about it, or do you go back to him and praise him for it? Do you let people know? Do you testify with your mouth, this is what the Lord has done for me? And it's really a question of character, of the acknowledgement of our Heavenly Father. The psalmist does not intend to make a vow, see that vow fulfilled, and then just forget about it. Okay? Now Martin Luther is one of those guys who made a vow. In July of 1505, Martin Luther was caught in this horrific thunderstorm. And in the midst of the thunderstorm, he was afraid he was going to die. So he yells out, save me, St. Anna, and I will become a monk. Now, that's not the kind of vow that, that I make in a thunderstorm, okay? Just because that's a pretty serious vow. Now, historians think that Luther was probably thinking about this ahead of time. Now, he was wrestling, we, we know he was wrestling with his understanding of assurance that he, as he studied law, because that's what mom and dad wanted him to do, uh, was, was feeling that he wasn't good enough to be accepted by the Lord. So this vow was probably in the back of his mind, and here he is uh, in the midst of a thunderstorm. So he speaks this vow, and, and of course he does it to St. Anna. Anna would be the mother of Mary. Um, and he acts on it quickly. This was July 1505, July 17th, 1505. He is in the Augustinian monastery at Erfurt. Okay, boy, make a vow, he's on it like that. Okay, the decision to enter the monastery must have been difficult, disappointment to a lot of people, but it was something he was probably thinking about, and the thunderstorm just put him over the edge. Now the question is, is that what God really wants of us? Maybe, maybe we should ask the question, what, what does God really want of us? Now we're evangelicals, and the first thing we think of, God wants our hearts. Give your heart to Christ. Well, that's just not enough, is it? Is, is the Lord satisfied with your heart? He wants everything. Head to toe. There's nothing that we can hold back from the Lord. It says, offer your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. Give all that you are to Him. Everything that you are is to be devoted to the Lord. Remember the passage. I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Doesn't want burnt offering. He wants us. He wants us every day. When our eyes open, he wants us all the way until our eyes close. John Calvin writes this. He says, we are not our own. Therefore, let not your reason nor our will sway our plans and deeds. We are not our own. Let us not set it as a goal to seek what is expedient for us according to the flesh. We are not our own. Insofar as we can, let us therefore forget ourselves and forget all that is ours. Conversely, we belong to God. Let us therefore live to him and die for him. Let his wisdom and his will rule all of our actions. We belong to God. Let all the parts of our lives accordingly strive towards him as our only lawful goal. We are not our own. We belong to God. That's, that's just a tough 
tough thing to chew on in our world today because it is so much about me and what I want to achieve and what I want to do and what I want to be, but I'm not my own. I belong to somebody else. To belong to Christ means that we cannot be a nominal Christian. We cannot be a cultural Christian. You cannot be the type of of Christian who wants to define God. You must be defined by God. There was a uh, seminary back, it was about 15 years ago, had one evangelical professor. Okay, one evangelical professor. And he was teaching a class one day about the Lord. It was a systematic class. He was teaching about the doctrine of God. And he made an assertion from Scripture about God. And a student raises his hand and says, Oh, uh, doctor... that's not the way I think about God. I like to think about God as being wise, but not being meddling. Uh, Compassionate, but he's not overpowering. Resourceful, but he doesn't interrupt us. That's how I like to think about God. And the professor said, well, thank you for telling us so much about yourself, but we're here to understand the God of Scripture. Okay? So it is the God of Scripture who defines us, not we who define him. You may think about God all that you like in the way that you like. The question is, is that what scripture says about him? Is that what he says about himself? To belong to Christ means that he defines me. He defines my purposes. He defines my life. He orders my life. You can't say when somebody asks you, do you go to church? Yes, I go to Central, but I go there for my business contacts. You can't say that and expect the Lord to be really pleased with it. Okay? You come because you want to worship him. You come because your life has been changed. Look at verse 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Okay? Now, there is, uh, this is what's called a syllogism. A syllogism is you have proposition A and you have proposition B and then you have the conclusion that comes out of A and B. Now, the classic is from Socrates, where he says, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal, okay? That's, that's the pattern that is typically used. And, and the psalmist is using the syllogism here, but he doesn't follow the pattern that's typically used. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, let's say. But certainly God has heard, and he has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Now, the psalmist is not saying that, well, there must not be sin in my heart if the Lord has heard me, okay? Because it's very clear in Scripture, okay? You cannot come to the Lord with with purposeful, habitual sin in your life and expect Him to hear you clearly, okay? Sin gets in the way of that. Peter's very clear, guys. What? If you're not treating your wife right, the Lord will not hear your prayers, He's very clear on that, okay? The same type of thing here. We can expect, if I come to the Lord with habitual, purposeful, unconfessed sin on my heart, what should, should I expect Him to listen to me? Now, can I ever come to the Lord perfectly? No. That's why we have Christ, okay? But I have to realize my sin. I have to understand my sin. I have to feel this sorrow for my sin. So the psalmist has come and saying, you know what? I came and there was sin in my heart. Okay, I came imperfectly, but what did he receive? He didn't receive the thumping of the Lord. 
He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. He didn't receive a thumping from the Lord. He received grace from the Lord. He received this great blessing. I mean, look at the first verse of Psalm 66. It's a call to what? Shout joyfully to God all the earth. Sing of his glories. At the end, we have his loving kindness. He will not turn away his loving kindness from me. Blessed be our Lord. Think of our own prayers. Think of the character of our prayers. Spurgeon says, if we do this honestly, we shall be filled with wonder that God ever listens to our prayers. How many times have we said, oh, I'm in need. I got to go to prayer. I got to pray for this, Lord. And you got to hear my prayer. And, and, And the time that we're not in need, we don't pray that much. Okay? We don't pray that much. We're not as concerned with that, with going to the Lord. Now, there might be some, Spurgeon continues, there might be some who think their prayers are worthy of acceptance. Well, the Lord will hear my prayer, right? That's what the Pharisee thought. But the true Christian, in a more enlightened remembrance, weeps over his prayers. And if he could retrace his steps, he would desire to pray more earnestly. Remember, Christian, how cold your prayers have been. When in your closet you should have wrestled as Jacob did, but instead your petitions have been faint and few. Far removed from that humble, believing, persevering faith that cries, I will not let you go except you bless me. Yet, wonderful to say, Spurgeon says, God has heard these cold prayers and not only heard them, but answered them. See, it's not about Am I worthy to come to the Lord? Am I worthy to pray these things? Of course we're not. But it's the Lord who makes us worthy. It's the Lord who intervenes in our lives and changes our lives. And we can come to him. He says, come to the throne of grace. I know you're not worthy. I know you've got this baggage. Come. Know my will. Receive forgiveness. Understand grace. You'll never be perfect. You can grow, you can get better, you can be more conformed to the image of Christ, but the Lord is gracious along that path. My friends, let's pray. Lord, we are far from perfect. We can be rash, we can say things and then not follow through on them, but you are always the same. You are always faithful. Lord, we confess that sometimes our prayers are rote, can be cold, but yet you are gracious in the midst of those. Lord, some of us have wondered why you've not been listening in our opinion, why our prayers seem to fall upon deaf ears. Lord, help us examine our own hearts. Help us dig deeply into the attitudes, into the actions, into the expectations that we have. Are there sins that we need to lay before you? Are there sins that we need to confess and put before you? And and no forgiveness from them and no release from them. Make us aware of these things. Lord, aware of our own hearts. You know our hearts. There's nothing hidden in there. Come upon us, Lord. 
that we might know the sweetness of your grace and mercy. That we know, might know what it means that when we pray, there's no, there's no hidden sin in the way. That we come to you relying completely upon your mercy, upon your grace, for you are faithful. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.